Well, hey you, hello there, every person everywhere. Well, good afternoon, evening, morning, yuletide, pantide, whatever season of life you're in. My name is Lynn, I'm every person everywhere, and this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So, sort of progressing directly from the last conversation I had with Yins, we're going to talk about education. Uh, First and foremost, I just remembered that in my rambles in my last episode, I forgot to mention, very important, I saw like wild goats in Scotland while we were driving. I saw lots of monoliths and geoliths, lots of mountains, and of course, a fair healthy dose in both cities of flaming bagpipes. So, yeah, very Scotland, very Scottish. Um, There was supposed to be a kilty band playing in town the day after I left, so I missed that, but whatever. Um, First and foremost, I want to say thank you, everybody who's followed the podcast this far. I know a lot of you, probably new listeners, at the time of me recording this, Just because, you know, I I didn't have a massive social media following or anything like that. I might have 20 to 30 monthly listeners on my Spotify, if I'm lucky. Um, So, you know, I don't have the massive following that it takes, I guess. But it's out there, and whenever people listen to it or discover it, fine by me. And if it never gets discovered, hey, it gave me something to do while I drove to work. So... That being said, I'm going to try and focus a bit more on my podcasts as far as, like, staying on track with things, which also means that whenever I get an idea for a podcast episode, I'm just going to write it down and I'm going to revisit it later. And there's obviously a lot of more on that later moments that I've had. So without further ado, let's start with education. Now, of course, the standard gateway for everybody in the 20th in 21st centuries would become a GED or high school diploma. Obviously, you can still get far in life with a GED. I've even met people that have gotten master's degrees and and or have worked on doctorate degrees or have sponsored people's doctoral degrees who are doing them off of a GED. A GED is a general education diploma or a gross equivalent diploma depending on, I think, state regs and who you talk to. But Basically, it's the entryway for anybody who didn't finish high school for one reason or another and wanted to have the equivalent of a high school diploma. Uh, Obviously, it's frowned upon because how could you ever drop out of high school? But obviously, people have their reasons. Some people aren't getting the right medical, physical, or psychiatric support they need. Um, Myself, I actually probably could have been a contestant if I'd didn't use school as a safe haven from having to deal with my depression. Um, Some people are just too psychiatrically or medically unwell to be able to finish high school, and so they have to tackle it in a different season of life when they get better. But long gone are the days where people leave high school and then don't at least get a GED, um, unfortunately. I have met people, and I do have some friends that have done such, But this is largely your quote-unquote unskilled labor jobs, which would be anything related to carpentry, construction, anything manual, anything that doesn't require, like, sort of the white-collar cognitive capabilities for the most part, 
obviously not discrediting anybody that uses white collar capabilities with, you know, the quote unquote blue collar education level. So blue collar jobs in general is what you would expect with the high school and the GED for America. And then obviously the education equivalents in other countries. People that don't at least attempt their A-levels and their upper level courses in royal countries, you know, Canada, England, Australia, New Zealand is what I would call Commonwealth royal countries um, because they're still sovereign of the queen in one way or another for whatever reason. I do not understand why, but I digress. Usually, yeah, it's going to be, you know, taxi drivers, chefs, retail managers, yeah, maybe not even managers, just retail workers. Now, obviously, you stay in this field long enough, you can work your way towards something bigger. Like, I have a friend who started an associate's degree in HVAC, or what would be a general certificate program, or a general diploma, or specialty diploma in Commonwealth countries. So, you go for a year to two years and learn a specific trade, and that's your skilled labor, per se. So, he was going for that. And then he realized that he didn't want to be installing ventilation systems for his career. So he started car sales and got so good at it that he's now a senior manager at, I think, a a Hyundai Sonata dealership somewhere in Hanover, which not Hanover, Germany, Hanover, Pennsylvania, about 40 minutes south of where my mom lives. So there's options for advancement, regardless of what your degree path is. It's just... Some of them will obviously require you to have more niche and more specific skill sets. In general, always trying to learn more new things is going to do nothing but benefit you because when you can put on a piece of paper that you're the only person in your division that speaks a second language or you're the only person in your division that can speed read over 400 words per minute or you're the only person in your division wherever you're at that can effectively function all aspects of Microsoft Office and or you have a Microsoft Office certification or a specific management related training that's going to help. I will get into certifications in a moment because those usually just boost whatever career path you're on in general. Some are more specific, some are more niche, but regardless. So then of course you have your university setting, your generalized diploma and associates. This is two-ish years of college average A lot of people do this while living at home or living with parents and or commuting. So they don't live on campus and they're just learning whatever generalized skill that they can. So this might include veterinarian technicians, dental technicians, dental hygienists, surgical technicians. This might include a degree that has prerequisites to forelay into something else. So, for instance, I was technically on my track to earn an associate's after my bachelor's, but I didn't, obviously. I just needed to have a degree declared to get those credits. So, I was in pre-medical sciences for my quote-unquote associate's degree. So, needless to say, uh, you, yeah, you don't necessarily need um, anything particular for a lot of things there. And even so, you can grab an associate's degree in, say, finance or music business or accounting. And it's something that is just a piece of paper. And really, a lot of companies just want a piece of paper under your name. 
So any piece of paper you have, no matter how small, is something that you can leverage in an interview. Interviewing is a whole different topic for a whole different day. And honestly, I'm not sure if I'm the one that's most qualified to run that type of conversation because that'd be more of like a entrepreneurial marketeer type of thing. So I won't even bother, but it's a piece of paper that you can use. It never goes away. It's credentials under your belt to do whatever. And certifications of this level don't even take two years sometimes. Like if you're becoming a certified medical technician or a certified pharmacy technician or a certified nursing assistant, which is what I was, was a certified nursing assistant. There's a pen and paper test and the skills didactic assessment that you have to do, but you only need to go to school for a little while. For instance, an accelerated CNA course, I think I got my CNA certification done over one very long weekend. It was like, um, maybe I took Friday off of school and I was there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or something like that. Either that, or I think it was like every Thursday for a long Thursday, and I got excused from class because, you know, paying for college out of pocket in any measure always helps. Even if it's just being able to use your own finances to buy your meal pass, that's less loan interest you have to pay back later. Which brings us to bachelor's level education. Bachelor's level education became the standard for most career paths, probably right as I was entering my primary education. So around the mid-2000s, it was kind of expected that most jobs you would have at least a bachelor's. Now, obviously, there are certain career paths that this doesn't apply to. Uh, For instance, you cannot become a clinical psychologist with just a bachelor's. You can work as a, a tutor or a counselor with a bachelor's, at a lower pay rate than if you were to have a master's, which is what I was able to end up doing when I worked as a family therapist. I was actually working off of my bachelor's and not my master's degree, just because the master's degree was in a different specialty, per se, if that makes sense. So obviously there's some wiggle room there, but it's a better piece of paper to have than a certification or a diploma or a non-specific degree, such as an associate's degree or whatever the equivalent would be in a commonwealth country. But still, you can still do a lot with a bachelor's degree. For instance, nurses start with a bachelor's, engineers start with a bachelor's, sometimes even associates, depending on the field. Nurses phased out of associate's degrees basically a couple years before I entered college, so 2007, 2008 or so. There's obviously a lot of nurses that were grandfathered in, and grandfathering means that you don't have to go back to school to keep doing what you're doing for work because you've been working in your profession and you're a good valued employee, obviously. So example of this would be physical therapists. Uh, There are still some, mostly extinct now, but there are still some physical therapists that only have a bachelor's degree and they either got a foreign equivalent certification to practice in America You only need a bachelor's degree to practice in most Commonwealth countries. I think it is entry-level master's now in Canada, and now it's entry-level doctoral degree. Physical therapy specifically, I think the entry went from bachelor's to master's 
back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then by the end of the 20 nofts, so 2000 to 2010, then it was an entry level of a doctorate degree to start practice. So there are rules and exceptions where people are grandfathered in. And also, depending on skill set is where there's some wiggle room as well. So most management positions and leadership positions nowadays, they want you to have some type of relative bachelor's degree and master's degree. But if you are working in that field for long enough, then you might only need a bachelor's degree. So let's say you're going to become an executive analyst at a marketing firm. So you're in the leadership position. You might see on an application online that you need a bachelor's plus five years or a master's plus two years or something like that. So if you've been working in your field long enough, there are exceptions to be made. And now, of course, comes the other part of the conversation, continued education. So if you can provide value to your company, you're in good standing, you're a valued employee, a lot of companies nowadays will sponsor people to go back. Now, some cases, this might only be going back for a paid certification. They might only pay half. They might only pay some. For instance, if I were to work at TW Panessa with my bachelor's degree, they would have eventually sponsored me to go to a Catholic university outside of Philadelphia for my master's. They would have paid, I think, 55%. And considering that most master's programs are only a year and a half to two years, that's a decent chunk of money for an otherwise fairly discount university as it is. Now, if you're trying to get into a bigger school, then you're going to need to wager a bigger deal. And the art of making a deal is something that I might talk about deeper down my travels, but right now I'm not the best dealsmith. I've negotiated some salaries and wages and benefits, but um, otherwise, <clears throat> you know, there's not much wiggle room. Your company looks at a spreadsheet, says this is what you make, this is your reimbursement rate if you do tuition, whatever. It's normally a flat package as part of your benefits. But still, there's already been opportunities. Like, for instance, if I would have started working at my current company exactly six months sooner, I would have paid $110 for my certified fall prevention specialist certification instead of the 250 that I paid. They would have paid half. And there's certain extraneous things that because it's going to bring value to the company, they'll pay for. And obviously there's an obligation of there could be certain repercussions if you, you know, take advantage of the company and then leave them. So for instance, when I did my CNA, the deal was that I was bound and contracted to work there for a year before I was allowed to move on to a different company because they invested in my training as a CNA, which I think at that point in time cost four or $500. So it was an initial investment that the company made into me for me to work for them with all the skills I had as an informal but paid caregiver in other nursing type facilities. But still, and then of course there's student rates that you can look for certifications as well. So I guess I'll just talk about certifications now because companies are probably more likely to pay for them. So the ones that I currently have behind my name, 
there's two that are generalized and then there is one that I'm planning to get that'll be more specialized to what I do. So certifications can be specific to one profession or they can be generalist. So as an occupational therapist, you could see somebody who's a certified hand therapist and that's pretty much exclusive to OT. Sometimes you'll see PT that gets them, but usually not. At least in America, these are certifications we're talking about from Americans' perspective. There is a CLIP perspective, which means that you know industrial ergonomics and financial planners and anybody who works in ergonomics can get this certification. Obviously, it helps OTs who are working on vocational rehab or ergonomics. So like OTs that are contracted to go into facilities and look at what they are doing right, doing wrong, and helping them manage all those aspects. So a very, very good job to have as an OT, just obviously very far and few between and not as valued as, you know, nursing home staff and hand therapists and generalists and outpatient clinics. Um, Certified dementia practitioner is applicable for pretty much any type of healthcare worker, but still I got it because even as a certified nursing assistant, it was helpful to have. It is nice to put on paper when you're working in dementia and noticing your specialty is in dementia. So obviously I can evidence on jobs now that I have dumped a lot of time becoming very good at one specific thing because I have two certifications behind my name currently that relate to older adult conditions, falls and dementia. The next one I'm going to get is Lee Silverman Voice Therapy usually exclusive to social workers, physical therapists, and occupational therapists. Some nurses do get it. And this is specific therapy to help retrain the brain of somebody with Parkinson's. I'm also going to eventually get a certified psychiatric rehabilitation practitioner certification because geriatric psychology and older adult psych is my passion, obviously. And being able to evidence that I'm very, very good and certified in rehabilitating individuals will help. And there's a myriad of other different types of certifications. All depends on your field. There's certified professional accountancy, which you're not a real accountant unless you have. There's certified medical accountants. There's different clinical residency programs for doctors and other clinicians. There's nursing home administrator specialist certifications for nurses. And there's clinical nursing director certifications. There's a whole myriad of things. Normally, people pay for these themselves. Certifications can be as cheap as 100 to 200 bucks. Some of them might run you two to 3,000. Uh, it, it really just depends. The average cost in my field for a cert is usually 700 or so, but that's a $700 investment in yourself to evidence a higher salary. And also, it feels nice to have a specialty and a niche behind your name. So, Obviously, there's also credentials related to master's programs, for instance. So if you're a master of science in nursing or if you're a master of science in occupational therapy as myself, which is the entry-level position as of 2022, it's about to become an entry-level doctorate degree in 2027. So that's how I might evidence to my employer, look, I want to meet current standards, but I really don't want to pay for it myself. Can you help me pay for my doctoral degree? And then, boom, mostly free doctorate. Which brings me on to the final frontier. 
doctoral degrees, if you want to do any sort of research and be taken seriously in most fields, you need at least a PhD or a doctorate degree related to your field. There, of course, are PsyDs, so psychology or psychiatry doctors uh, that publish, but it's more of a clinical degree. Like a doctor of physical therapy and an occupational therapy doctor, it normally is a clinical practice degree. Of course, you can specialize at certain universities to get an extra certification behind your name that says, I specialized in clinical research or clinical leadership development, whatever it might be. So pick your poison. You also usually need a PhD or a doctoral degree to teach at universities. So obviously, once again, there's exceptions. There are places that I've actually applied to already that I could do just my master's degree and then work in my field of expertise for five years. A beautiful thing about occupational therapy is that we're jack of all trades, master of none. So there's lots of wiggle room for what I could do, what I could teach, what I could learn, what I could provide. And it's not mutually exclusive to just one thing. When you get a PhD, it doesn't really matter whatever field it is. Anything that you learned at a bachelor's or master's level is usually fair game to teach. So, for instance, when I get a PhD one day, uh, or a doctoral degree of any sort, I could teach master's level of occupational therapy. I could teach the subject that I did my PhD in. I could teach behavioral science, which I technically did for my nursing undergraduate before I transferred degree credits. So, where do you fit into all of this? Well, that's really up for you to decide. It really depends on your your goals, your career goals, and, of course, what it looks like for each thing. You know, a bachelor's degree is anywhere from three to five years, very focused study, where you're normally expected to dump at least three hours a day into classes and then dump an additional three hours into studying and prepping for exams and research and whatnot. So... The time commitment is equivalent to at least a part-time job, if not a full-time job for a bachelor's degree. When you do a master's degree, a lot of them are designed to be done while you're working. A lot of them can be done online or hybrid, meaning you might spend weekends on campus and the rest of your time you're at home. So this might be equivalent to either a shift work or PRN job or a part-time job. But it really depends on what you do. For instance, if you're doing an MBA program, as one of my friends is doing, all of his grades, instead of being based on tests and lecture attendance and all that stuff, it is solely based on one cumulative development, business development project and discussion groups. Depending on how much he contributes to discussion groups, that's his grade. Depending on how well his business idea does, that's his grade for his entire master's degree. Very different from having a couple tests per semester per class. <clears throat> now, in England, my master's degree, we only had one test per semester that covered the entire semester. Sometimes we had a practical, sometimes we had an additional thing we had to do. My record was three to four tests for an entire semester, with, which was our busiest semester. <laughs> They were all written assignments. They were all essay type assignments, except for business development, my practical skills of knowledge of OT stuff, which we did our very first semester actually, and 
We also did a business statistics and clinical statistics exam slash module. Otherwise, that was my degree. Now, an American master's of occupational therapy, a lot of my friends had two, three tests per semester. So more like a bachelor's degree. It really just depends. For PhD, also, once again, depends. Most people get paid to do their PhD because they're contributing to their field and or teaching lectures of some degree level while they are pursuing their PhD. For instance, one of my colleagues was doing a PhD at Penn State, and to pay for it, he had to teach 10 hours a week at various university levels. And then when he entered the actual PhD portion of his degree, that's when he was able to just get paid to contribute to his PhD thesis. So you spend a year or two developing your thesis idea and working out the rough kinks and curves with somebody who's done the process before, and then you go for it. If I do my PhD in New Zealand as I plan, I will only have one grade, the entire four to six years I'm working on it, depending on full-time or part-time status, and that will be the thesis itself. Otherwise, you get very little grades for a PhD. You're just there to work and research, basically. And it becomes a full-time job, really. So, in essence, wherever you see yourself in a couple of years, that's where you fit into it. And there's no rush. And I'm sorry that this is a long episode, but education is important to consider, regardless of who you are and regardless of what you plan on doing with your life. You know, even if you never go to school for a bachelor's, master's, doctorate, or even associates, like just having an additional credential behind your name of like certified construction manager or whatever it might be, just any additional letters you can scrounge up will never hurt when you're looking at job prospectus. So it all depends on what you want to do with your one short, wild, and precious life. And I leave it at that. To this, I add my beautiful silence.